Welcome back to Crazy Faith Talk. I'm Erica. I'm Steve. And I'm Sarah. And uh, you have joined us for another exciting day in Hard Sayings of Jesus. Uh, we began last time with a literal hat and literal sayings of Jesus written on little pieces of paper in said hat, uh, which you'll be able to hear be shaken in just a moment. And when the moment comes, our colleague in ministry, Sarah, will draw out one of the passages. And these are things, sayings of Jesus that might be difficult or confusing or frustrating or sometimes it's because we don't know what Jesus meant and sometimes it's because we know exactly what Jesus meant and we don't like it. <laughs> uh, or at least we have a hard time with wrapping our heads and our hearts around it. So Sarah, uh, let's go for it. What do we have today? Okay, so our first hard saying of Jesus is can be found in Matthew, Mark, and Luke. It's whoever divorces and marries another commits adultery. Okay, so it's Matthew 5, 27 through 32. Uh, Mark 10, verses 11 through 12, and then I will look up Luke 16, verse 18. Okay, now, we'll hear these. They're probably not going to be terribly different across each of these. They're each from the Synoptic Gospels. Do you have Matthew handy already, yes, Erica? I do. All right, let's hear what Matthew, how Matthew says it. You have heard it said, you shall not commit adultery. But I tell you that anyone who looks at a woman lustfully has already committed adultery with her in his heart. If your right eye causes you to stumble, gouge it out, and throw it away, it is better for you to lose one part of your body for your whole body to be thrown into hell. And if your right hand causes you to stumble, cut it off and throw it away. It is better for you to lose one part of your body than for your whole body to go into hell. It has been said anyone who divorces his wife must give her a certificate of divorce, but I tell you anyone who divorces his wife except for sexual immorality makes her the victim of adultery, and anyone who marries a divorced woman commits adultery. And similarly, we get in Mark's gospel, um, a little bit earlier, there's a, a sort of a setup where one of the Pharisees comes and says, is it lawful for a man to divorce his wife? He answers, what did Moses command you? They said, Moses allowed a man to write a certificate of dismissal and to divorce her, but Jesus said to them, because of the hardness of your heart, he wrote this commandment for you, but from the beginning of creation, God made the male and female. For this reason, a man shall leave his father and mother and be joined his wife, and the two shall become one flesh. So there are no longer two but one flesh. Therefore, what God has joined together, let no one separate. And then sort of the crux of it, then in the house, the disciples asked him again about this matter. Apparently, <laughs> they, they wanted to make sure they heard him right. He said to them, whoever divorces his wife and marries another commits adultery against her, and if she divorces her husband and marries another, she commits adultery. Okay. So the Luke version of this comes right after the dishonest steward that we heard in last week's episode. Um, so the Pharisees, who were lovers of money, heard all this, and they ridiculed Jesus. So he said to them, you are those who justify yourselves in the sight of others, but God knows your hearts. For what is prized by human beings is abomination in the sight of God. The law and the prophets were in effect until John came. Since then, the good news of the kingdom of God is proclaimed, and everyone tries to enter it by force. But it is easier for heaven and earth to pass away than for one stroke of a letter in the law to be dropped. Anyone who divorces his wife and marries another commits adultery, and whoever marries a woman divorced from her husband commits adultery. So, yeah, it... I think the Luke is odd because it, it's almost as if, like, Jesus is saying all of these things to the Pharisees, which are difficult to hear, and then out of nowhere throws in this 
thing about adultery as well. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And the, there's an interesting difference between how Matthew frames this as part of the whole that we call the Sermon on the Mount, where Jesus mm-hmm. is sort of saying, you've heard it said, but I say to you. And in Mark, where the setup is, uh, one of the legal experts, a scribe, comes up to him and asks him, is divorce permissible? And this sort of comes out as Jesus' answer. Now, in a sense, the setting doesn't change that the punchline is still difficult in any case, that, mm-hmm. that the, the conclusion Jesus comes to, uh, especially in an age like ours in which divorce is, uh, you know, happens regularly and um, is is just a part of the the, the air we're breathing uh, and difficult and that and that the church has wrestled with. There have been eras in church history where. Uh, where there's been a very, very hard line against uh, divorce or we found other sort of ways of weaseling around, oh, it's an endowment, it's a, you know, that kind of thing. There's been other eras where there's been much more leniency toward uh, divorce and who's allowed to be divorced and remarried. Um, and there's, honestly, there have been lots of times in church history where we fudged it, where the official policy was you're not allowed to be divorced, but people would look the other way about mistresses or things, like where in, in the attempt to keep the letter or the, yeah, the letter of the law, the spirit was sort of thrown out the window there. Um, so we should be honest that this, this is not just us three having a challenging time with this text. The, for 2,000 years, uh, followers of Jesus have been having a hard time with how do you live this out because human relationships are difficult and mm-hmm. we sometimes, believe it or not, don't always get along with each other. And the church still to this day doesn't completely agree right. on what this means and who can and cannot divorce and and, you know, whether it's laity or pastors or, or anything like that. So Right. And we could add in, without uh, getting it too, too complicated, while Jesus seems to give this very, very uh, hardline, uh, no exceptions kind of uh, policy, except for it sometimes gets translated sexual immorality. I think the Greek is porneia, just sort of this broad category for unfaithfulness. Um, uh Paul gives a handful of other possible exemptions. If uh, a couple was uh, was married and one leaves the other, the un- the one who is left behind doesn't have to go after them or can remarry if they've been left by their spouse. Um, and I think there's allowed the possibility of um, maybe one or two other uh, exep- exemptions that show up in other places of the New Testament. And it's difficult because, huh, here we are, people who name the name of Jesus, where our movement is built around Jesus, but even the early church seems to have had a sort of a fluid like, well, in this situation, turns out here's an exception. And that's a difficult thing for us because we kind of want to have an ironclad, all right, give us what the rule is. If we don't like it, we'll have to live with it, but give us what the rule is and no exceptions. And the early church didn't exactly even seem to have that. And like, Paul could have just said, you saw it in the gospel, Jesus said no exception, no divorce, but Paul seems to think he has the authority to go, well, okay, in this in this situation, this is also an acceptable or permissible kind of arrangement. That, that makes it messier than we would sometimes wish would just be give us what the rule is, and we don't get it. So um, I was a history major in college, and the way I've tended to look at these verses, you know, where it talks about divorce and, you know, don't do divorce, Mm -hmm. um, is that in a lot of ways, Jesus putting his foot down and saying divorce is not allowed, you know, it's adultery if you, you know, marry or sleep with a married woman or, you know, a divorced woman because she's technically still married, um, is that this was a very pro-woman state. Yeah, oh yeah. Because in the first century, Judaism... Those who could seek divorce for men, right? Uh, women had no power here, and so that this actually safeguarded women from being left by their husbands. That exactly. that this was 
keeping the family unit together so that she continued to have that partner, that provider. Um, otherwise, it could very well be a woman and her children out on the street hungry. And the way it gets framed in Mark's gospel, and I don't, I don't mean to pit the gospels against one another, mm. but the way the scene, the scene is framed in Mark's gospel, as we heard a minute ago, is someone who comes up to Jesus and says, is a man permitted to divorce his wife? And like, it doesn't even enter in his mind the question, could a woman divorce her husband? Like, he's framed it, and Jesus' response is, well, all right, what is what does the law of Moses allow? And even Moses' prescription is meant to put safeguards that you're not allowed to just throw somebody away willy-nilly. I mean, there, and from, from what I recall in historical studies, in the first century, there are a handful of rabbis who take different positions. Some who said things like, you can divorce your spouse if she burns the soup, and you just say three times, I divorce you, I divorce you, and that's it, out she goes. And others who had a narrower sense of when you could, but basically, that your spouse, and, and as you say, Sarah, that this was men being allowed to throw away their wives, that it was that they were basically disposable when you found some wish to be with somebody else, and that Jesus' hard line is really is really best heard as you don't get to throw away women just because you think you found a newer model or you don't like the way that the old one makes the soup. That people are not disposable. Yeah, and yeah. women matter too. Yeah, yeah, and that that has to be framed because the the question gets phrased to Jesus in terms of marriage and divorce. That's the way this gets expressed, and because that's primarily the kind of relationships we're talking about here, that's the, why this sort of takes takes place in a conversation about marriage, but it fits more broadly in Jesus' sense of you don't get to treat anybody like they're disposable. Mm-hmm. Which also means that I don't get to circumvent this by saying, well, we just won't get married and I'm allowed to throw people away casually. No. This this isn't, this isn't if you're planning on treating people like objects, don't, don't ever get married. It's don't treat anybody like they're an object. That's difficult because... We're, human beings are really good at treating <laughs> treating each other like objects. Now, that said, I, I think that may make this saying of Jesus even more radical to first century ears than it may to our ears. And that, if, if that's what's going on here, if this is Jesus coming to the defense of uh, women who are more likely to be sort of thrown aside by their husband saying, I've got the legal and religious right to do it... Um, that this would have been scandal. I mean, you get why the disciples have to ask him a couple verses later, hold on, Jesus, it's just us now, tell us that again, because I'm sure we misheard that, we're allowed to divorce our wives, right, Jesus? And Jesus comes down as a hard line, no, you don't get to throw people away. But, like, that's a radical thing. And, again, you kind of get why people regularly picked up rocks to want to kill Jesus, because the kinds of things he said would have upturned and overturned the whole social order if people took it seriously. Because so much of life then, I mean, for that matter, so much of life now is built on the ability by people with power and, and position to be able to treat other people like they're disposable. And it includes marriage relationships, but it, it, it's all sorts of other ways that we treat other people like they don't matter. Like, I don't have to pay my workers very much because who cares? I'll just fire them and get other people. Um, or the way, I mean, it's so easy to treat anybody like they don't matter um, once they're not of use to me. And I think Jesus is getting at something even more radical, that the value of human beings isn't in their personal usefulness to me, but in the infinite image of God in which they're made. And I think that's kind of why Jesus goes back when he defends his answer to the creation story. There's, whoa, 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 whoa. We're talking about human beings made in the image of God here. I'm not allowed to treat anybody made in the image of God like they're disposable. So absolutely that's the case in uh, marriage when you've got spouses and they have a hard time getting along. I'm not allowed to throw somebody away. But I'm also not allowed to treat somebody else like they're disposable in other situations as well. Um, even down to my enemies. I'm not allowed to you know, hate my enemies either. That, and that Jesus' whole way of seeing the world is nobody is disposable. So what is then our 
like how do we talk about this these verses with members of our congregations or family or friends who are divorced especially those that have been divorced for that very reason you know somebody fell in love with somebody else and mm-hmm. right this and that and you know divorce is as easy as getting married today right and where Jesus words are maybe really really helpful before divorces happen but afterwards like okay now what do I do to help pick up the pieces right yeah yeah Yeah, because the reality is I'm now divorced right and um also I want to move on with my life and that might include remarrying like this Mm -hmm. could also be heard this is also heard by Christians who have been divorced and then remarried. Right. Right. So how do we continue, I don't know, to be in conversation with those folks? I think part of it possibly depends on the reasoning for the divorce. Because one of the areas where I struggle with this, um, not personally, but just in, in hearing, some people will use this passage to say, no, you cannot get divorced even if your spouse is abusive mm, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. You know, because Jesus said no you can't get divorced right End of story Jesus said that that's that's the end mm-hmm. but in that case I mean you know I two of my best friends have been divorced because of abusive spouses and I couldn't imagine having to force them to continue to live into that situation right 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 and it certainly doesn't seem like that is fits uh, faithfully in the spirit of anything else Jesus ever said oh no too, but I, people Twisted that way, right? And see, that's it. Like, I, I think if we're gonna if we're gonna delve into this, then then it means we have to say, however we deal with this, we also we want how we come out with it to still feel like it's in the character and the spirit of how Jesus treats people. And yeah, it doesn't it doesn't seem like Jesus is ever the one to say stay in an abusive situation because I'm so opposed to uh, violating this piece of paper that's a marriage certificate. Yeah, the, mm-hmm. Jesus is always about protecting people, even. Even when marriage vows are broken, like the you know the story about the woman caught in adultery, Jesus doesn't get all fuzzy. Oh my goodness, someone has been breaking their marriage vows. Jesus says you're not allowed to stone her. Um, like Jesus comes down on the side of protecting people uh, rather than uh, getting fussy about the paperwork in that regard. Um, so yeah, I, I think in in situations where where people have had to leave because of uh, they were in abusive situations, I I think that probably fits in the, in the kind of situations that Paul talks about later in the New Testament where he talks about with, if one has sort of been left by the other spouse. Whether the other person has physically checked out or they've sort of emotionally checked out by treating the other person like I can abuse you, I think that's sort of in that category of, like, in a sense, um, in a sense, sometimes marriage isn't ending a divorce. Sometimes divorce isn't ending a marriage or, or killing a marriage. I think sometimes divorce is pronouncing a death that's already happened, you know? Mm-hmm. Um, there's this... Uh, <laughs> song from the 90s that sticks in my head and the one line goes um, are we just here to see the remains of love exhumed I mean like that, that there, there's sometimes a situation where a relationship is already dead and um, if there's a piece of paper that's holding it together that, that but the other person is checked out and doesn't care about the other person that's rough on the person who keeps getting abused and has to you know uh, that 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 doesn't seem in the spirit of what Jesus intends to keep them in that kind of situation um it's not good for either person. It's not good if there's kids in the picture. That's just not good all around. I think maybe this is a place where our our role as people who might know the details of people's stories is going to be helpful because we want to, on the one hand, not give the encouragement of like, um, 
that people are then allowed to sort of serially, yeah, it doesn't matter, just don't treat any relationship like it matters, go ahead and casually date yeah. who, you know. On the other hand, we do want to give that sort of breathing space of, yeah, it's po- is it possible to start over again? Yeah. Um, and it, are, are there are there examples, are there ways where people have started over again after uh, going through divorce? Yeah. And sometimes that's, there's wonderful, beautiful, good family life that comes out of that too. But in, in a sense, you also always are carrying the scars of what you've been through too. I think grace needs to be a big, huge part of how we deal with anyone sure. talking about divorce, especially those who've gone through it, and and even those who've been remarried after you know going through divorce. Is just saying, recognizing, yes, this is what Jesus says, and it's very, it's a very hard truth. But you know, whatever your circumstances were, there there's a way to redeem your past and to bring new life into it, and. Let's let's figure out a way to do that. Mm-hmm. It, it, it looks different for every couple, you know, in every situation. But grace needs to surround all of our conversation and not just beating people over the head by saying, no, Jesus said you're not allowed to get divorced, and so you're sinful now because you've been divorced. Right, right, right. I remember when I was um, going through premarital counseling with my, with my husband. You know, we were getting ready for the wedding, and we were planning it, and you know, part of the requirement in most Lutheran churches is that you do some counseling before. And the pastor who married us asked, um, is there any situation in which you see yourselves getting divorced? And he wouldn't let us answer right away. He made us actually sit there and think. And um, I remember saying something along the lines of, well, maybe in case, you know, if he were to abuse me or if you know, there was substance abuse, but I also don't see my husband, you know, my husband doing those things. So I don't really think that that's going to be an issue. Like, major life changes would have to happen for him to do these things. Like, I just don't see that as part of his personality. And um, I remember that pastor, you know, and I think my husband said, no, I don't think so. Like, you know, he couldn't think of any reasons. And the pastor then brought up several life changes that can happen that are so beyond our control, like the loss of a child. I think Mm -hmm. that we've all heard the numbers of how many couples get divorced after a child dies. Because, you know, that is way beyond, outside of our control, you know, no one wishes, wishes for that situation. But, you know, there are, there are times and situations where, the relationship dies, and it's not repairable. And I think, as you said, grace has to come in at some point. And in those cases, um, I think it's it's worth saying there. I, I don't I don't know of any real life situation that I have known where a couple uh, was was on the precipice of divorce where anybody was intending to be a terrible, rotten villain. I mean, there are times where somebody's just, like, so checked out, like, and it does happen, and, and it seems like in those cases there is this sort of, like, yeah, this relationship is over. But that it's not like there's two villains or one villain and one... That, like, these are people who have been trying to make it work, and they sometimes... Sometimes couples spend a lot of time trying to make it work, and sometimes they, they reconcile and things grow and they're able to get through rough patches. And sometimes two people who have really, 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 really tried or done all the things that anybody can think of to do, it, this, is a, this is beyond their ability to, to heal or to mend or to, to fix. Um, 
And then I think that's a piece of what grace looks like, is not wanting to make somebody into the villain or, uh, well, you're just not trying hard enough or something Mm -hmm. like that. Um, But that every time I've known folks who are uh, going through situations, whether they led to divorce or led to to reconciliation or something, everybody gets their heart broken in this. Like, nobody's like, oh, I won. Like, this is is terrible. This is is painful for everybody. And to be able to honor and say, like, the people who go through this aren't trying to mess up other people's lives. Sometimes it's a matter of what's the least worst option around. Um, And I think that's a difficult realization, too, that sometimes, to be really, really honest, church folk have not been good at saying, um, because I think sometimes we imagine that there is always an easy right choice that is pain-free. And I think in life, there are an awful lot of times where there are no pain-free options. And that in in relationships where couples are struggling, the choice to try and make it work and stay together is not pain-free, and the choice to uh, divorce is not pain-free. And I think sometimes we... Um, religious folks have accused people who divorce as well you're giving up you just don't want the easy out no it is not easy to go through divorce it 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 hurts like hell and it is not easy to stick it out and try and make things work that hurts like hell and sometimes couples sign up for double because they keep working at it and working at it and working at it and they still find themselves pulled apart um and unfortunately i think sometimes the voice of religious people has been um that if you're choosing the right option, it will be easy and happy and it'll just be a matter of a simple weekend marriage retreat or it'll be a simple matter of watch this religious movie or read this book. And it's not. (laughs) It it is so much more complicated and difficult because we human beings have access to the most uh, deep and vulnerable parts of each other when we love people, that we know how to push each other's buttons or we're capable of causing great harm even when we don't mean to. And So I guess I think even, even, even in situations where it seems like divorce is unavoidable to recognize people have been trying even before often even before they are, they arrive knocking on the pastor's door or calling a counselor or something like that they've been working on things and trying their best and sometimes the pastor or the counselor or whatever gives them lots of helpful suggestions and sometimes they're helpful and sometimes that's it's not a matter of willpower enough that makes it work and at least being able to honor that and say that rather than making somebody into a quick villain. Uh, as much as that might have been the situation for Jesus where, yeah, you're talking about men who want to throw away their wives. Um, in real-life situations uh, now, I don't see so much villains. I see a lot of people who are struggling and living with the limitations of their abilities. And then we tend to, to pick sides in divorces. Right. You know? um, and this is even more so, I think, when there's kids involved. But, I mean, even when there's not kids involved... You know, you, you've got your friends that, you know, your couple friends that, you know, you're a couple and your friend, yeah. and then they end up picking sides and it just makes everything so much worse because then, you know, maybe, you know, you, you've got a couple that are in the process of getting divorced and he's really good friends with his guy buddies and she's really good friends with her girlfriends and, yeah. and then they start picking at, you know, and that's something we don't need to be doing either. We don't need to be vilifying um, whether there's a villain or not. We don't need to add to that vilification of someone just because this is a path that they chose. Right. Because, again, I think that vilifying others, whether it's warranted or not, that's not our call to make, um, again, takes away from part of the point of this passage, Mm -hmm. like um, like you had said earlier, Steve, about that um, don't treat people like they're disposable. And I think as soon as we start vilifying others, again, whether it's warranted or not, isn't what Jesus wants here. We are supposed to care about the other. Mm -hmm. Right, right. And so this may be a point where we've had to have this additional conversation, not because 
Jesus is wrong in what he said so much as Jesus is trying to create a different mindset that people aren't disposable and yet there's a whole other subset of the conversation that has to happen and what what do you do if you've been thrown away at some point in life or what do you do if you realize you did throw somebody away and that relationship is now over and they've moved on and how do I try and start over again in a way that doesn't repeat that pattern that I don't keep throwing people away but that's that's uh, sort of a, a whole big mindset kind of thing not Jesus giving personal pastoral care advice to one particular couple or situation and I think maybe that's part of the, 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 the thing too that when the in Mark's version when somebody comes to Jesus and asks him this sort of broad blanket question, Jesus answers in broad terms, but it's easy to make it broad brushstroke and not deal with the actual individual messy lives of real people. And when it comes to real people, um, there's an awful lot of grace that Jesus extends in every situation where he runs in. I mean, like, I think about that story where um, Jesus meets the, the woman at the well in Samaria, right? And so she's this woman who's had a background in multiple relationships. And even though Jesus is aware of it, Jesus doesn't beat her over the head with this or weaponize it at him. He's like, I know your story. I'm not afraid. I'm not running away. I'm not upset about this. Let's just be honest. We can be direct with each other. And if that's Jesus' attitude in that kind of circumstance, it certainly seems to me like Jesus isn't likely in this question, uh, people who've already come through divorce, how do they begin? I I don't get the sense that all of a sudden he's going to become, I I guess, this um, jerk. (laughs) Well, I mean, this this is the ideal. This is what Jesus wants us to live up to. And just along with everything else in the Sermon on the Mount, especially when we're looking at the Matthew passage here, that's the ideal. But the ideal for us is also to be sinless. Right, right, right. And that's not going to happen. And so while Jesus puts forth this ideal, and we should strive for that ideal, Jesus always gives us grace when we fall short of that. And that's what we need to make sure that we give ourselves, if we find ourselves in this position, and that we give others when they find themselves in in this position, is that, yes, the ideal is once that you're married, you're married for life. But life happens. Right, right, right. And sometimes you can't control life happening and sometimes you can't live up to the ideal. Sure. And m- maybe in a way similar to um, doctors in the emergency room, the goal is to revive your patient and make them well mm-hmm. again. And sometimes the doctor is able to do things that bring them back, the, the person back to life. Hooray! Good job. Sometimes the person gets better on their own and they would have without the doctor's help. Good job, body. Way to heal. Sometimes the doctor does everything humanly possible, and sometimes the patient does everything that they're asked to do, and still they aren't able to uh, be resuscitated. And that's grievable. We can say, yeah, this is not the ideal. The ideal is that people don't get sick and die, and yet sometimes it happens. Mm -hmm. And in moments like that, um, I think we need to be able to to name the world that we live in. the, The ideal doesn't always happen. And that the sense I get of Jesus throughout the Gospels isn't that he gives up on us the moment we're not ideal. He doesn't go, oh, you didn't completely adhere to what I asked, that's it, I'm done with you. But that Jesus consistently and faithfully stays with us and bears with us even when we totally blow it. Um, and that, in a sense, that's a model for what our our calling and relationship is with other people, not only in marriages, but also in our friendships with people who have come through uh, marriages that have, that have uh, ended and that have begun in new relationships as well. Well, I know this has been heavy uh, and a lot of conversation, so this this one will sort of stand on its own as its own hard saying of Jesus conversation. Um, but we hope that this has been a valuable conversation for you, and um, we'll uh, join you next time. Bye. See you.
Hello, it is Ryan, and we could all use an extra bright spot in our day, couldn't we? Just to make up for things like sitting in traffic, doing the dishes, counting your steps, you know, all the mundane stuff. That is why I'm such a big fan of Chumba Casino. Chumba Casino has all your favorite social casino style games that you can play for free anytime, anywhere with daily bonuses. That should brighten your day a little. Actually, a lot. So sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com. That's ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. BTW. Void. We're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus.